Thanks for listening to The Adam Carolla Show on Podcast One. Hey guys, we're using Poshmark and you should too. Do you have things that you don't wear anymore? Poshmark is seriously the easiest way to make room in your closet, make some cash, and also snag a bargain. It's the coolest reseller with the best brands like Lululemon, Nike Reformation, and Gucci for up to 70% off. DJ Khaled has a closet and Serena Williams. Download the app today. Enter Podcast 10 when you sign up for $10 off your first purchase on Poshmark. Saving starts with internet and wireless from Xfinity. Because when you get Xfinity Internet and add mobile, you can save up to $400 a year on wireless. Enjoy fast, reliable internet at home and nationwide 5G on the go, included at no extra cost. Get Xfinity Internet and Mobile together and ask how to get an eligible 5G phone on us. And for a limited time, $300 back. Don't miss out. Go to Xfinity.com slash start saving. Call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Savings based on optimized pricing. Actual savings may vary. Well, good news. One of the most dynamic women in media, Candace Owens, is going to be joining me for a one-on-one. So we'll get the straight dope out of her mouth. First, I'll tell you about Geico. Do you own, do you rent your home? Well, you do one or the other, right? And then there's your automotive. So everything's insured. But why don't you bundle it up with Geico and save a bunch of time and save a bunch of money when you take your homeowner's or your renter's insurance and you get your bundle going with your automotive policy, Geico makes it easy to do that. Go to geico.com, get a quote, see just how much you could save when you bundle at Geico. That is geico.com. And Tucker Carlson's going to be joining us as well. So uh, two of the most interesting conservative voices out there, and he's going to join us as well on this program. So let me just... Uh, Hit our sponsor, 15 seconds for Simply Safe. If you've uh, got a few minutes, uh, you'll never have to worry about break ins ever again. That's how fast you can set up your Simply Safe system. Just go to simplysafe.com slash M, choose all the sensors you need, you'll, or you can give them a call, get some help from their experts, and a uh, box will get to your house in about a week. Customize uh, your system, it's going to show up, and you get a free security camera at simplysafe.com slash Adam. Seven years ago, college wrestler Damian Hurd disappeared from a party in Gunnison, Colorado. Everyone has been drinking or whatever the usual party scene. When, how, and why he left are questions I need your help to understand. Nobody's heard from him. No, it's just like he disappeared. From Cold Case Productions and Podcast One, Final Days on Earth, The Life and Death of Damian Hurd. I'm your host, Claire Sanimal. Join me April 20th for the season premiere. From Nashville, Tennessee, and South Florida, this is the Adam Carolla Show. Adam's guest today, Candace Owens and Tucker Carlson. And now, big fan of Fox News and bigger fan of Fox on the Run, Adam Carolla. A little format change today with the Adam Carolla Show. We'll do a one-on-one with Candace Owens because I came out to do her wonderful show just moments ago in Nashville, and then we'll travel on and see our friend Tucker Carlson. So we'll do our sort of one-on-one of conservatives. First, Candace Owens. Uh, New show, Candace. I'm going to be on it Friday, which is tomorrow? I'm trying to think what today, as we uh, tape this, or not as we tape this. 
And uh, it's uh, available exclusively on Daily Wire, dailywire.com. And we'll uh, plug the book as well, Blackout, How Black America, Black America Can Make Its Second Escape from the Democratic Plantation. Candace Owens, good to see you again. Good to see you. I was talking to someone about you a few days ago, and she said, I don't like Candace Owens. And I said, well, she's smart. And she's right about most of the stuff she talks about. And then she said, yeah, I know. But I don't like her anyway. <laughs> and I said, uh, why? And she said, because she stirs up this controversy and she's doing it intentionally. And I said, I don't know. If that, I don't know. Can we talk about that? I mean, you get in a lot of yeah. Twitter wars and there's a lot. And I think people think there's a little P.T. Barnum in you. Like it's cooked up. How much of it is like legitimate, like this is how I feel, and how much of it is promotional? I love that I'm such a polarizing figure because I don't really say things that are that complicated. You know, I would just, I don't think that men can be women. And they're like, she's stirring up controversy. And what's interesting is that that's such a gaslighting thing because the people that I'm responding to are the ones that are stirring up controversy. So talking about stuff that happens in the Twitterverse, like when Harry Styles puts on a dress and goes on the cover of Vogue, He's trying to stir up controversy. They're trying to sell copies of Vogue. When Cardi B jumps on the stage of the Grammys half naked and humps another woman on the stage, she's trying to stir up controversy, right? We're talking about it. Now, if you told me, if, if I was just, just saw Harry Styles walking down the street in Starbucks and I was like, hey, I want to start an argument with you and I want to say something, that would be me being controversial for the sake of being controversial. They're doing controversial things and I'm commenting on it because... It's, these are things that have larger implications, in my opinion. You know, saying something about the society. I now have a child um, who's, who's 13 weeks old. And the society that we're living in right now is quite perverse. It's celebrating, celebrating perversity under the guise of celebrating diversity. So everything I say is actually quite normal. But because we've gotten into a place in society where things are upside down and normalcy is heralded as some kind of bigotry, it seems controversial. Now, it's interesting what you said, because you said the things you say are simple. And I kind of realized that we're at this place, you know, I always say, like, you want to lose weight, diet and exercise. Done. We no more books, no more conversations, no more anything. You know, you want to heal a community, dad, stay there, raise your kids, focus on education. Done. We don't have to have any more discussions about it. It's It's the insanely simple answers are what people push back the hardest against. Right. It, 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 and that's deemed controversial today, and it's just the strangest thing to me. Like, if we lived in a normal society, people don't even like the word normal, by the way. That Just me saying the word normal is going to trigger a lot of people you'll see in the comments. Like, how could she possibly say? what? Who defines normal? Like, it's like suddenly we're all Marxists, and we want to pretend that nothing, there, there's no such thing as normal and everything's subjective when it's really not. If, if things were okay and we lived in a normal society, I wouldn't have a platform. <laughs> think about that. I wouldn't have a platform because I'm saying one plus one equals two and people are want to burn down, you know, society over that. They're just like, how could you possibly say that? So, yeah, I exist because society is perverse. What do you, so, I, you know, I've been trying to really noodle on this. Like, what makes people so agitated by you? I mean, people on the left, obviously. What What is that summon in them. And I started to think about a few things. People on the left 
hate people that don't apologize, backpedal, or, and, and who stand up to them. It drives them insane. It's this weird thing. It's like they think they have magic in their finger and they're pointing at you and you're just walking around your life and they're going, but I command you to stop. And you're like, I don't care. But I told you to apologize. Like, okay, I'm not. Like, it, it's, it's so self-absorbed and it's so narcissistic and so bizarre that they're almost, they're confused and then they're enraged by it. Right. They're sadistic, right? What they hate about me is I'm not a masochist. So they like to do things, like to beat people into submission because it make, gives them a feeling of goodness. Oh, I told this person that they're racist and they took it and they gave a weird apology for something that clearly wasn't racist, right? That's a form of being a sadist, right? And I'm not a masochist. So when they say, I want to beat you over the head, I'm like, actually, no, thank you. I'm, I'm good with that. What I said was not this or that. And I'm going to double down. And I'm going to repeat the very basic sentence that should not have offended anybody. And that drives them crazy because they need to fulfill that sadistic fetish that lives inside of them. Uh, so we're just not a good match, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, being a black woman and saying the things you say, I think, drives them. Well, because their game, their obviously, mind. because the whole game is like everything they say, the way that they're they're able to execute this fetish is that they say, well, I'm doing it in the name of helping black people, right? I'm doing it in the name of anti-racism. I'm doing it in the name of anti-sexism. I'm doing it in the name of anti-misogyny. Well, now you have a black woman and you can't do that. And you're going to have to instead think. And you're going to have to come back to me with a thought. And they're not capable of that. So they kind of then... Um, reduce themselves to a bu- an emotional bubble because that's I mean they're toddlers you know so it's like you're making no sense I'm not white so you, your whole well then you're a racist doesn't work and it just leaves them kind of holding the stick of stupidity it's also again like I always say like all roads lead to narcissism like I don't think like Rachel Maddow thinks or Don Lemon thinks and I don't care I don't know why that side wants dominion over the other side. You know, Tucker Carlson thinks differently than Don Lemon, but they're not trying to get CNN canceled. Mm-hmm. Why can't you just keep walking? Right. And maybe it's kind of interesting because there used to be, I'm a little older than you, but you used to be able to say what you wanted. And if someone said something, you'd go, it's a free country. I say what I want. I don't know that they want that free country. It's not a free country because you can't say what you want, right? If it was a free country, President Trump would have a Twitter account. We're we're a censored country and we're becoming increasingly more censored because there's this idea that only certain thoughts are allowed to exist. And those thoughts are are of the ones that resemble the people that are in power, right? So you're not allowed to say thing that goes against a certain narrative, right? The mainstream narrative, which in my opinion is actually not that mainstream. I think more people are being silenced and censored than ever before. And I actually think that um, I represent the ideas of the majority. Like I'd like to think, and and I think I'm right, that the majority of Americans don't believe that Cardi B should have been granted Woman of the Year. Right? Oh, really? I she didn't was granted know that. Woman of the Year by Billboard. She was named Woman of the Year. This is a woman that's been on her live talking about how she used to drug and rob men at the time that she was a stripper by Bill Cosby's standard. She should be in prison, right? <laughs> yes. And yet Billboard named her Woman of the Year. I don't think that's because Black America wanted her named Woman of the Year. I don't believe that you know any person who saw a performance doesn't have something negative to say about it. But people that are in power at Billboard decide, well, this is what we're going to do for whatever nefarious reason that is. You know, they're they're really trying to pollute our society with these abnorms that they're pretending are the norms. I don't believe that the average man wants to put on a dress. 
I don't know, call me crazy. I don't think the average man wants to wear a slutty little dress and be like, oh my God, look at me. I think most people acknowledge that's a form of perversion, but we're being told by all of these media companies that have a lot of power to decide on what the narrative is, that that is perfectly normal. Um, and so that's what I hit back on. I think that the reason I have the platform that I do is because actually the majority feels this way and they feel like they're not being heard and they're not allowed to say it without being accused of being a bigot or a racist or a sexist. Do What do you think the end game is for cor- corporate America? What do you think their big picture plan is? Like you see Major League Baseball pull out of Atlanta or Coke or Delta or uh, United, was it United Airline that's, that's going to do, you know, X amount of African-American and women pilots and the next whatever. Obviously, they don't care. I mean, I don't, I don't think that they actually care about anything. They're, they're corporations that care about making money, but they're obviously peddling this narrative. I always say Subaru makes their cars with love, but they also make attack helicopters for the Japanese government. You know what I mean? That shoot Sidewinder missiles out of them. So I don't know. Who is Subaru? Well, they want you to feel this way about them. So is it just them wanting to sell more units or what are no. they really looking for? That, that, I think that's way too simple of an answer. I think it's, it's, it's much deeper than that. And this would kind of pivot us into a foreign policy discussion. I think over the last 10 years, China has been trying to take over the world. And it, we live in a different time now. So you can't take over a country. You can't just like roll trucks into America and say, okay, well, hey, we're here to fight a war. It's just a different time now. I think the, the easiest way to render a superpower like America weak is from the inside out. Right. Um, So you're seeing a pollution across the education system that's rendering kids dumber. Literally, there have never been more degrees handed out with dumber kids. I'm talking about standardized tests. These are the dumbest kids that we've ever produced. And they've got more degrees than they've ever had. Uh, The idea of giving these people degrees that are completely meaningless, like here's a degree in feminist dance theory. Here's a degree in Latinx studies. You can get a degree in Latinx studies. Did you know that? I don't even Uh, know. My my mom was a Chicano studies major. (laughs) And she went to junior college for like 26 years. She's never paid a penny in taxes. So I understand. I got a front row seat to that. But what's the point of that? And the point of that is because you want to create a generation of children that's never been so confident and knows absolutely nothing. So they they know nothing. They're not ever going to be able to make money. Right? You can't make money as a feminist dance theory professor. You can't make, I mean, you can become a professor and teach more kids how to not make money. You have no practical skills. What, what do you get when you have a society that is gearing towards emasculating men, right? But at the same exact time, China is, is um, implementing a program to make men more masculine, literally making men more masculine. They want their men to be more masculine. If you look also, a recent study released, 50% testosterone levels are down 50% from a couple of decades ago. That's an incredible thing that should be talked about. Um, And and so when you look at all of these pieces and and you study foreign policy and the Chinese Belt and Road Initiative and you watch you know, case in point, Joe Biden, Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken sitting across from China um, at that Anchorage, uh, um, Anchorage, Alaska summit. And the China's looking us in the face and saying you're not a world power anymore. At the same time, China is trying to stow racial conflicts in this country. They've come out. They now sit at the U.N. Don't ask me how they, they now, you know, sit um, uh, on the humanitarian on the humanitarian board. And they're saying America has race issues at the same time that they're committing a genocide on Muslims in their country. They've got a lot of power right now. Right. And, um, you know, they are the second biggest uh, uh, funders of of the United Nations. They've always been a sleeping dragon. And I think the dragon is waking up. So everything that I see happening in America, and I could get, like I said, this could be an hour discussion. We could talk about Russian collusion. I think even China's behind that. 
biggest enemy to China, obviously. The biggest threat to China would be its next-door neighbor, Russia, uh, because they're another nuclear power. And if you are China and you're trying to take over the West, you need to make sure that the West has established no meaningful relationship with Russia, hence going at Trump so hard with Russian collusion, because it's likely that Trump would have done some meaningful deal or pact because he recognized the threat of China. So, I mean, again, much larger discussion. I don't think it's so simple as, like, they're just like, hey, whatever. China runs Hollywood. They own Hollywood. They, they you know, they own all the movie studios. Um, so they're setting the 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 palette uh, in America right now, and nobody's talking about it. And it's timely, I will say, that suddenly, when people just start talking about it, this Stop Asian Hate campaign has come out of left field. Um, it's the left field to tackle white supremacy. And, and where they're going to end with that, to me, is going to be what they did with Black Lives Matter. You're not going to be allowed to critique a Chinese person without being called a racist. And well, prediction. Just a prediction. Look, just the notion that we're not able to talk about the origins of COVID-19, the <laughs> fact that we call it COVID-19 mm-hmm. versus all the other pandemics that were named after the city or the country or whatever, that that's a coup right there. Right. And that's all utterly self-imposed. Right. You know what I mean? That's us doing it to us because we're so racially charged. And, you know, I was saying... I'd heard about a White Lives Matter uh, uprising or something in Huntington Beach or something, you know, over the weekend. And I thought to myself, well, of course, how long can there be Black Lives Matter rallies before it gives birth to a White Lives Matter? Like, this is going to happen. It's bound to happen. It can't not happen. It's insane how obsessed with race we are. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I know the, the news outlets fuel it, but for some reason it's striking a chord for everyone and we dive in on it. And I've been saying for as long as I've had a microphone in front of me, stop it. This is insane. We're not a racist country. Every time I say it, somebody next to me goes, yeah, but come on, you got to admit that's a there's right. Ra- of course, there's racism, you idiots. Yeah, I'm saying it's not a racist racism. country. It's it's like if I say that at a table of 10 people, I'll have nine of them arguing with me. Like there's something so important about keeping this fire burning right. for racism that even kind of middle of the road agnostic people can't give it up. Right. What is that? I mean, it, it's an obsession. I mean, first and foremost, you have people that white guilt, going back to your point about narcissism, white guilt makes them feel good about themselves. Like They get to look at all of their other white people and show how educated they are because they hate being white and they realize, you know, the privilege of my whiteness and all of this stuff, and they think that it gives them the moral upper hand. So you have white, that's really a white-on-white crime. Half the time, things are canceled for being racist. A lot of people are not behind the cancellations. Like, I don't, a lot of people do not lead the charge to get Aunt Jemima taken off of, I mean, we all had Aunt Jemima syrup in our homes. No one was ever offended about this. But now you're having this game where white people like to feel better than other white people and they're starting to look for racism in every crevice of society. So that's being fielded by white guilt. Then you have, you know, obviously Black Lives Matter, which is in a corporation. It's an actual corporation that's in the end run by white people. Um, and by the way, recently came out that they're also being funded by the CCP. Patrice Cullors, the woman at, at, the, at the head of Black Lives Matter, um, is receiving funding from the CCP um, in a, it, through a back channel. So you've got all of this what, going sorry, on. Sorry, what's the CCP? 
the Chinese Communist Party. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about a socialist <laughs> thing here. <laughs> no, the Chinese Communist Party. They oh, just, I thought yeah, you were talking about a group inside of this country. So you have people oh, that realize boy. that you can keep America in a permanent state of turmoil by stowing the race conflict because it's never going to be solved because there's always going to be one racist. There's always going to be something that happens, you know, where it happens to be a white and a black person. If you can spin that as, as racism, then it's golden. So, I mean, and, and this is a good example. My husband, we have a friend uh, who's mixed race and he's sort of did this thing. Well, yeah, come on, man. Uh, there's been times when as a darker skinned person where people have handed me their keys and thought I was a valet. And my husband said to him, if you think that that's, he's like, people have done that to me too. I'm white. People have handed me the keys thought I was valet. If you are chan- channeled to believe that every bad thing that happens to you is because of the color of your skin, God bless you, right? I, everybody has, you in a car, you get into a fight at a, at a stoplight and maybe that person's black, maybe that person's white. Of course you're going to have, but, but now it's if you're black, this happens to you because you're black, not because everybody goes through, you know, flipping each other off at a, at, a, at a stop sign and then you move on from it. So that's the point of critical race theory in, in the education system is to train people, the kids now, to see race and to see um, uh, also sex everywhere. They're not implementing it in the school system, so we're I not going to come out of that. I, I don't know how, I don't know if they know how insanely perverse and dangerous that is to do to a young person. Mm. Oh, what do they do? I mean, you want to talk about the best way to ruin a person's life, make them think they live in a country where they have a target on their back. Mm -hmm. And it's insane how it's promulgated. Like whenever I hear Michelle Obama, Michelle Obama gives examples like I took my kids to a soft swirl ice cream place and a white woman walked in front of us in line like we didn't even like that's her example of racism. Everybody has experienced this. Like she said, you know, I, nobody saw me. I'm like, first off, you're a liar. You've got 10 secret service on you at all time forever for the rest of your life. Somebody saw you. OK, so I appreciate yes. this little puppy dog story. But like you come in and, and people have to pay attention because you're like, who's walking in with like 20 secret service at all time? You know, but beyond that, again, has, have you not had somebody walk in front of you? I mean, like, do you really believe that white people are going in this country and they've never had somebody walk in front of them or they've never been cut off while you're driving? And like, it, like this is a form of privilege. This happens everywhere. But again, we're being trained to only see things racially because they want these people to become activists and, and polluting the school system with this to me is a form of it's, it's Hitler youth. Right. It's Hitler Youth. This is propaganda uh, for children because you, when they come out, you want them to be activists. You want them to to support these movements. Because, And by the way, that's all they can do because they know nothing. You're replacing hard academics, which would teach these children to be successful. Engineering, mathematics, uh, you know, the, the sciences. And these kids instead are learning about white privilege. And, and then they're going to get out of school. and They're not going to be successful. And they're going to be convinced it's because they're black and not because they know absolutely nothing. You know, it's. I, I've, I've said it a million times. Every house I've lived in, I'd have, I had a neighbor where if I was black, I would be convinced they were racist because they've done horrible stuff, called the cops, you know. Bad roommates. E- e- everything, everything. So number one. Number two, um, I don't know what the end game could possibly be. I mean, it, it has to be a disaster for the black community. I can't imagine this helping the black community in any way, shape, or form. It's obviously it's going to hurt the black community. I am. How is the black community doing, and what direction are they going? Well, listen. So 
of course, things are not going well. And I think things are going to get a lot worse because, I mean, I tweeted earlier today, there's no incentive to be a police officer today, right? There are calls to defund the police. There are calls to, to you know, make policing obsolete, right? Which just means that, you know, it's not going to be this big vacuous space and nothing, it's not going to be filled. Of course, it's going to be filled by the gang members. So we're talking about turning all of these inner cities into Gotham City, right? And the people that are going to hurt are not the, you know, white people in the suburbs that are writing, oh, Black Lives Matter on their Instagrams couldn't be the very people that they purport to help, right? Where the most policing takes place in inner city communities. That's that. Those people are going to be hit the hardest by this agenda. Um, and they know that, right? They, they don't care that they're willing to have that happen because what does it do? It keeps to keep them impoverished, right? To keep a certain demographic constantly impoverished and constantly wanting more. And at the same time, making sure that guaranteeing that they're ignorant, you know, go to California um, uh, and uh, nine-year-olds, they, they did a test. They couldn't pass a basic reading exam. 75% of black boys couldn't pass a basic reading exam, right? But they'll tell you all about Black Lives Matter and how racist white people are, right? So you keep these people ignorant, and, and ignorance is a, a toddler mindset where all they have is emotion. That's why toddlers scream and they yell on the floor and why toddlers freak out and riot and loot in their own way if they don't get what they want because they don't have any education. They're not educated. That's the goal. Make them not educated, make them emotional, and use them as pawns um, to go out against anybody that they want to attack. Just say, that person's a racist, and then black Americans are supposed to go, ah, and attack that thing that they want attacked. It's actually the biggest form of racism white supremacy, in my opinion, and why I say the Democrats are the white supremacists, because they're doing this systematically. Um, They see us as pawns. They always have seen us as pawns. And all they want is for our job is to be is to go out and to and to fight their enemies so that they can stay in power. I was listening to maybe the Daily Wire. I can't remember. I was listening to Ben Shapiro's show, but he was just kind of giving a breakdown. And, you know, the numbers aren't exact, but it's basically... Who, who's, here are the Americans that earn the most, and here is their divorce rate, essentially. And Asians earn the most, and they have the lowest, you know, single mom. And then next is white. It's also this weird narrative. The, the problem with all the race stuff that they kick around, the math doesn't work out. You know, it's always, you know, racist, whitey, racist, whitey. There's other cultures that make more money than white people, Asian obviously. Are the Asians, earners. right. So, Pakistani Americans. Yeah, there are many who do better, mm-hmm. but they never bring up somehow. It's always just the white people yeah. at the top all the time. And they're not at the top. And so, uh, Asians do the best. You know, they make a hundred, average a hundred grand with, you know, 14% uh, single moms. And then, Whitey does second at like 70 grand with like, you know, 30%, you know, 28%, you know, single moms. Then Hispanic is like, they make 50 grand and they have 50%. And then black is, you know, 41,000 with 73% single mom. So there's a graph. It's an easy graph to follow. It's the ones, it's not Whitey at the top. It's whoever stays Together at the yeah. top, whoever dads who stick around and raise yeah. their I, kids are at the top. Yeah, why? I wrote why about this in my book? And why has it never come up? It does come up. In well, my book, not in your book. Sorry, but but you never know, heard politicians. An even more interesting way to look at it is if you look at you know if you get race obsessed, just look at Black Americans and White Americans. You always hear people talking about the wealth gap between Black Americans and White Americans. Well, actually, what you should examine is the wealth gap between married Black Americans and married White Americans, and it's something like a two point. Uh, variation, meaning like there's, uh, you know, living below the poverty line. I think it's something like 11% of um, white Americans that are married and 
like 9% of white Americans that are married and 11% of black Americans that are married. So it's like just a slight variation in terms of poverty level um, if parents stay together. So it's just one thing that would dramatically change everything for the black community. But that doesn't happen, obviously, because of policies, Democrat policies, right? There's an incentive um, since the 1960s to tell black Americans not to marry the father of their children. And that was started by Lyndon Baines Johnson. Um, he gave that, you know, famous speech at Howard University saying, like, not only we're going to give you civil rights, but we're also going to give you more than that. And that more than that was we're going to marry you to government and we're going to make, you know, we're going to keep giving you handouts. You're never really going to get ahead, but you're going to want more government, more government, more government. And, you know, he said a quote um, and it was that he would have Black Americans, he called us those N-words, um, voting Democrat for the next 200 years. Thus far, slam dunk, LBJ. He's on it. You know, it's magic. Yeah. Speaking of magic, why aren't more black people, leaders in the community speaking up? Like they, they understand, like they, they live their life that way. It's kind of, you know, our friend Dennis Prager always says that the Jews live a conservative lifestyle. Like it's about the kids, it's about education, it's about family, it's about worship, you know, and then they vote democratic. You know, they don't, they don't preach what they practice. And there are many people in the black community who understand this simple recipe that we've just discussed. Nary a peep out of the, the people that are the kind of leaders and the sort of, in, in culture? Well, I actually think it's the opposite. I think that the biggest leaders in culture, and if we're defining leaders by people that have the most followers, are ignorant. And there's, there's one thing that Democrats love to celebrate. It's the black athlete and the black hip-hop star, right? People that make music and people that play sports. And I think the reason why they focus so much, and they'll give us that, they're willing to make, you know, let's call LeBron James king, let's call Beyonce queen, um, is because they recognize that these people are not the most educated people in the entire world. I don't think when LeBron James is, you know, pro-Black Lives Matter that he's doing that um, because he's trying to send black people the wrong way. It's because he's not a very educated person. He, you know, just barely graduated high school. He got drafted from high school. And he doesn't know what he's talking about. So he's all emotion, right? Because he has not developed his, his, his intellectual side. There's no question that, that LeBron James, I think, if, if he sat down and took an IQ test, you, you would not be surprised to find out that he's not the smartest person in the room. But he is the person with the biggest following. So what Dr. Ben Carson says, which should be listened to, what Dr. Condoleezza Rice says, right, she's got one of the most brilliant black women to ever live, right? Coons, Uncle Tom, dismiss it. Democrats instantly brand them and call them Coons and Uncle Toms. They never want that person to ever have a platform, which is why they hate me, right? Not that I'm in the same stratosphere as Condoleezza Rice um, in terms of intellect, but LeBron James, oh, we'll give him a platform and we're going to feed to him what he needs to talk about and show him videos what he needs to care about. And he reacts emotionally because he's not intellectually developed. Same with Cardi B. I mean, Joe Biden came out of his cave during the election cycle to sit down with one person. It was Cardi B. You think he listens, right. you listen, think he listens to Cardi B music? You think he knows what WAP stands for? No. Uh, I think, I think he, he knows- thinks it's a slang for Italian. Right. Exactly. Probably. That's exactly right. But what I will tell you is that what he does know is that she's got 74 million followers and the Democrats know that if if she says I'm with him, then a bunch of people who are equally as ignorant as her will follow it. And so these are pawns in their game and they don't recognize that. And it's, it's sad because I'd love for them to humble themselves to want to learn it because they would be such truth tellers. Um, you know, their platforms could be used for good. Instead, it's used for evil, and that evil is not even being executed by them necessarily. So 
uh, first things first. I I just know the more free stuff you give to people, the more you ruin the 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 culture, the people, whoever whoever gets it, wh- whatever. Everyone has to earn things. I I come from a family. My mom got a bunch of free crap. I mean, it was junk, but a free house, junk, welfare, food stamps. She's the least predict, least productive person I've ever met in my life, and angry as as well. Uh, and you know, there was this, there was a story that I'll I'll butcher a little bit, but when we wanted to test nuclear bombs on Bikini Island, we took all the folks that lived on Bikini Island and move them off of Bikini Island so we, the U.S. government, could could blow up nuclear devices. Like in the 50s, I think we were trying to experiment with uh, atom bombs and things like that. And we moved them all off the island, but we said, don't worry. You get all the foosball and beer you want. Like, we're going to take care of you. Like, nobody has to work anymore. They all just got fat and diabetic and became alcoholics. Like, you you cannot take a group of people and go, don't worry about it. We got this. The government's going to take care of you. It ruins the group almost immediately. I I cannot. And then, then the politician says the answer is more free stuff, which is the opposite of the answer. Because they just want slaves. They just want people to control that will keep them in power. If you want to stay in power, you need to make sure that they know nothing but to vote for you because you're giving them something. It's a very easy, easy way to win. I mean, it's kind of like almost elementary, right? It's like the person in elementary school, I don't know if you had this, but when they're running for class president, and then there's the one kid who's like, I'm going to give you free lunch. Everyone's like, yeah, Yeah. every day is going to be pizza. Yeah. Like that's kind of a Democrat strategy, except it's worked, which is crazy, you know, because they're just like, okay, you're just going to respond emotionally. I'm going to give you free stuff. The point is, is I want to be president, right? I want to be in power and I want to be able to make every other decision. All I've got to do is give you some free pizza. Why not? Well, speaking of the president or the former president, uh, Barack Obama and uh, Michelle Obama, I want to I want to drill down on them. I'd like to get your insights on them because I feel like they're different than they sort of as originally advertised. Mm. I feel like they they're changing, and uh, we got to take a quick break. We'll come right back. We'll talk to Candace Owens about that right after this. Let me tell you about Headspace. If you have ten minutes, you can change your life. Headspace. It's a daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations and an easy-to-use app. Overwhelmed, Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation. Need help falling asleep, Headspace has wind-down sessions. Parents, Headspace has a morning meditations you can do with your kids. Reduce stress, improve sleep boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. And boy, more than ever, we need Headspace. I've been uh, talking to you about how important that is. Get this app and get that peace of mind. Backed by 25 studies, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. It's Headspace, right, Dawson? You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash Adam. That's headspace.com slash Adam for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash Adam today. All right, back with Candace Owens. Candace is the show. It's available exclusively on the Daily Wire, dailywire.com. It's a great show. I just did it. So please 
watch, and of course the book Blackout, which is available now on Amazon and her website, CandaceOwens.com, and shoot her a tweet, Cardi, at RealCandaceO. Um, the Obamas. Um, I was, you know, so I'll just give you the perspective of the uh, middle-aged white guy. I grew up in a very progressive kind of family, and the benchmark for when our country was officially done being racist is the day we elected the first black president. It was spoken. It was like, because it's hard to measure racism. Like, I don't know how racist you are, or he is, or we have, or whatever, but it's like all through my lifetime, 70s, 80s, 90s, like, one day when we elect our first black president, that's when that, that mark that day, racism over. Mm. And, and, and comedians would do jokes about how he'd be assassinated on the first day and everything. But we use that as a measuring stick to measure the end of racism. So it happened. And Obama was pretty moderate. I feel like at the beginning, he was saying things like, look, if I don't get elected, it's not because of my skin colors, because of my policy, whatever. And he's been changing his tune and becoming more sort of activated, yeah. blactivated, if you will. Lactivated. That's going to be the name of your next book. Lactivated. Yes. And in Michelle as well, like in weighing in on all these sort of social things and cop shootings and saying things that are like pretty incendiary. Yeah. You know, so I agree with you 100 percent. Obviously, we did not we did not get what we paid for with Obama. Um, And you're correct that that should have been the easiest metric is America a racist country. Well, the majority in America racially, the breakdown is the majority of people are white. You know, 60% of people are white, only 13% of the people are black. So if we lived in a white supremacist country, a black person would never get elected to become president of the United States, plain and simple. I mean, that's, just look at the numbers, right? And he was, uh, people came out overwhelmingly supported him, white people supported him, and it was because he delivered this dream that, you know, we can finally put this behind us. And he's pivoted on that, obviously, and the reasons for that is simple. Barack Obama was an unknown guy who went into the White House. He took a lot of money from a lot of people. Uh, you don't take a lot of money from a lot of people and get to keep your voice. I mean, the, the, for all s- intents and purposes, the presidency is really supposed to just be a form of puppetry. You know, they're not in control. The corporations that back them, what do you think that these the people want to give all this money to these people for? It's for influence, right? They want to make sure that when you're in office, uh, these are the policies that you're enacting. Whatever it is, whatever back-end deals you're doing to sit at that table, um, you know, you compromise your soul. And that's unfortunately what Barack Obama did. Um, you know, smart guy, great speaker, was successful at Harvard, did a lot of firsts and a lot of feats, but he wasn't a man that was in control because he t- took a lot of money to get to where he was. And the on the opposite side of that is Trump. Trump is a story of a man who didn't need anybody to help him get to where he was. He had his own celebrity. Uh, he had his own money. And he got into the White House. And look what they did to him because they couldn't control him, right? Because they weren't able to control him is a story of how, you know, not how, but why, uh, the media wanted to essentially assassinate him um, electronically, right? Just all of these lies and stories they put out about him. So it's a tale of two presidencies. One, a man that's a hostage, and that's what he continues to be. Him and Michelle are hostages. Um, uh, and, you know, Trump. I, that sounds not allowed to speak. like a pejorative. Like, explain the hostage. Yeah, it is. I mean, right. it is a pejorative, I guess, in a sense. But it's, no, it's not really pejorative. It's just um, a description of a hostage, meaning that you're not allowed to be... Um, who you are and say what you think. And that's not just at his level. You and I had a discussion on my show about people in Hollywood. And I asked you, why don't they have on these guests on their shows? And you said, 
you know, or why don't they grill certain people when they're on their show, like Hunter Biden? You know, why don't, why aren't you asking these meaningful questions about prostitutes and all of this stuff? And the answer is simple, because then they wouldn't have a show. So you're a hostage at your own show. It's a show's got your name on it, but you've got no control over it because it's your whole livelihood. Musicians are hostages. You know this. You know, Hollywood, people that message me and say, I'm a conservative, but I can't say anything. You're a hostage. You're in a hostage situation. If you, if you say something, um, your life is going to be taken from you. You know, and I mean that literally. They'll, they'll take the accolades, the awards. You'll get blacklisted. You won't be able to hang out with anybody. You won't get another show. You'll never be able to book another show. So that's a hostage situation. You're not actually in control of your own life. Do you feel, so I have speculated that the folks that are trying to hold people hostage are creating you and Ben Shapiro, I don't mean creating, but they're inadvertently, just like we we spoke at the beginning that Black Lives Matter, the movement is unfortunately going to give birth to a counter movement, which for you know, the, it's essentially, it's like people have been talking about the Klan and won't stop talking about the Klan when the Klan has no power in this country and no numbers in this country are inadvertently starting to create like a 2.0 kind of, right. kind of Klan. Which makes sense. And, well, it, it, it could go no other way. There's right. going to be you're a yin, there's going to be a yang. Yeah, exactly. You're right. You're going to create this, it's going to, you're going to create that. Like, that's how it's going to work. And... All of the Hollywood super liberals and cancel culture and everything has to be the best news ever to the Daily Wire and Candace Owens and Ben Shapiro and all the people. I mean, I've just been walking around the campus here. This is quite an operation. And I feel like it's sort of like a balloon that's half full with air and you squeeze one side of it and the other side bulges up. You don't just squeeze one side and have it go away. You squeeze and it goes, and that's what you guys are sort of doing. Like it's, it's the best, it's the greatest favor ever. And I think it's going to give birth to more and there's going to be bigger movements and more, more podcasts and more shows and more conservative and more people realizing that they have to get out of that Hollywood system. Yeah. You can't, you can't operate in that system. Yeah, what you're describing is pretty much culture gives birth to counterculture until counterculture becomes culture. Right. That's the equilibrium, right? It's it, that, that is what is happening right now where it's, I have the best job and circumstance ever, right? I get to tell the truth. Um, I don't have to compromise myself. I'm not owned by any corporations, right? There's nobody that owns Candace Owens. Um, you know, I have my own platform and I get to get people that are inspired and are then giving themselves permission to say, I think this is crazy and it's good to know that I can go to this place and hear, you know, truths. I can hear things that are not controversial, shouldn't be controversial, and I know that I'm not going crazy. And so that's why Ben Shapiro gets a platform. That's why Candace Owens gets a a platform. That's why all of these conservatives that they hate so much and they're trying to censor and ban. That's why Trump gets extra 10 million votes after being in office. You know, the most um, uh, fundamentally spat on figuratively president ever, right? There's never been someone who's been accused of being a racist more than Trump. And that's incredible because there are actual presidents that were in office that were real racism or saying the N-word, you know, in every other sentence. And yet, despite him being accused of being a racist, a sexist, a misogynist, day in and day out, being accused of being incestuous, they even said he had feelings for Ivanka. Despite that, Trump gained 10 million votes in this country. He increased his support amongst black men and he doubled his support amongst black women. It's incredible. Wow. That's the real story here, right? That America doesn't care 
anymore yes. what's being said in the mainstream media because the mainstream, as I said earlier, is not actually mainstream. They're just trying to make you think it is. Well, I think what I think we discovered a short period ago that celebrity endorsements don't mean shit. <laughs> and we used to think, oh, if we could just get Robert De Niro to endorse our candidate or our ice cream or like, oh, that that'd be huge. And you find out like, you know, Oprah and Robert De Niro and stuff, they all endorse some candidate and then they then they then they lose. And it was like kind of this weird peek behind the curtain at uh, the wizard, you know, don't mind the man behind the curtain kind of situation. And I think that's what's going on with the media yeah. now. I think people are like, see the little I, guy, the little wizard. I pulling don't the- <laughs> believe it anymore. Yeah. It's like, that's Mike trying to leave. He just, someone he just, just walked into a glass this door. Podcast, somebody just walked oh, okay. into a glass door. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's <Mike>. incredible. <laughs> no, it, it's like, I heard there was the whole Gates thing and there's unnamed sources from the White House tell the you know, former Trump administration, unnamed sources, tell the New York Times, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm done with unnamed sources about the Trump White House. Right. I'm no longer do I. But it's the New York Times. Yeah. If you would have told me that eight years ago, Big I would difference. have went, okay. Yeah. Now I hear un, unnamed sources from the Trump administration say, and the New York Times is reporting it, and I just keep walking. Right. And I tell people all the time, it may be true. I just don't know it anymore. Right. It's 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 the boy who cried wolf. I mean, like we do actually need real journalists. They don't exist anymore. We just have activists, right? Few and far between. Maybe a couple of them exist. Um, we just have activists, right? And the problem with that is that we still need journalists, right? So there's going to be a story where we actually need someone to say this is a really bad thing that happened. We need to pay attention to it. But because you know we have just realized that nothing until us is true. That they're constantly just going out people that these are just hit jobs. That everybody's a racist. You know, air is racist. That was an actual headline um, in in the Washington Post last year. That you know, even air is racist. Black people aren't even allowed to breathe the same air as, as uh, white people. No one wants to hear it anymore. She's like, all right, you, you could literally you walk in and tell us that the sky was falling, and we just wouldn't believe it because you'd be like, from the New York Times, okay, yeah, all done. They just want the sky to fall because Trump's president, sort of a thing, you know. I it's unfortunate. A, I have a theory to float with you, which is I, I'm not very educated, but I, I just sit around and sort of look at trends and try to pick up trends and sort of so- sociological trends, and. I was around for a long time before we had our first black president. And again, that was, we were going to usher in a new era of non-racism because we now have our first black president. I noticed us doubling down on the racism theories after we did this. It was like almost as if the man who, or CNN or popular culture went, how do we keep this narrative of living in a racist country when we have a two-term black president? How do we keep this narrative going? It, it seems like we just shot holes in our own narrative and they all got together and went, we got to triple down now. Yeah, We got to create we got to find racism everywhere. And not just racism, they extended it, right? So then they moved on to, because I think the Democrat plan became, all we're going to do is uh, pick people that seem like the little guy, right? So they went from Barack Obama to Hillary Clinton, right? Running Hillary Clinton. And then that was when the Me Too movement started and women have been oppressed and haven't been able to speak out and all these things, even though we're dominating men in virtually 
almost every statistic, right? Men are higher suicide rates. Men aren't graduating at college as high as women. But this is it. We're going to insist on the narrative. women. Yeah. They pay more. Yeah. <laughs> you guys have the ultimate look. Right. And, All and the so, belly aching about yeah, 72 well, cents to the man. You yeah. guys live like eight years yeah, longer we than we over do. 80% of all the spending purchasing power in this country is dominated by women. And yet they started insisting on this area because suddenly they wanted people to really focus on this ism because they wanted this person to be president. So they, they actually said, racism's not enough. Where else can we extend things? And this is how we've arrived at like trans kids. You know what I mean? Like, where is more things that could be happening to gay people? Can we find, how many letters can we tack on to LGBT? It's not enough. We need a T, a Q, an R, an S, a T, U, V, W, X, Y, and a Z because the Z people have not been allowed to speak. And if we don't help the Z people, then what is this country but a filthy, bigoted, backwards? I I know. If you watch CNN, you'd think this country was 46% transsexual. I know. I like I, you really would. I, like I, I literally, I always tell this story, but it makes me laugh because how people are. My sister used to be a hairdresser. She worked in Silver Lake uh, on Hyperion, a very gay part of super gay. That's all she saw. And I said to her once, she was like twenty two. I said, "What percentage of males do you think are gay?" And she's like, well, "I don't know, eighty <laughs> percent," because that's she lived in it. You know, what I mean? she had. Like, if you just watched CNN, you'd think we're in the mid-40s transsexuals. Like, this notion that they pick these things that don't make a difference to a society day in and day out, have no impact mm-hmm. whatsoever. Just don't. Yeah. There's this, you know, a, there's more impact of Africanized killer bees coming in from Mexico right. or, or murder hornets. Yeah. There's just... It's not a thing. Way and less then they, than 1%. Then they, Way less. Then they turn it into this thing and then we argue over it. It's yeah, like, But at the same time that they're turning into this thing is that they're creating, because they realize that, they're just creating trans people. So like statistics, and I can't remember the exact number. Michael knows covered this and it was stunning, uh, the statistics of people that identified as trans 10 years ago versus, uh, or five years ago versus today. So in the last five years, because they're now programming people to think they can pick their genders. That's the whole point of this, right? So like we didn't learn. This was not a thing when I was a kid. It was just like, I'm a girl, you're a boy, great. I was tomboy for a few years. No one was like, well, Candace, you like to run around with the boys. Maybe your name's really Michael. Nobody tried to like program me that way. It was just like, you know, like little girl running around the playground with boys. And then I went through puberty and suddenly I thought those guys were hot. Now there's this focus on, and it's a type of child abuse, on, on telling children that they can pick their genders and that they're trans. And let me just say this very clearly. You show me a trans child, it's like showing me a vegan dog. I know who's making the decisions in the household. The social thing is a trans child. The children don't know anything, right? right? So if a kid, child is on these videos going, I'm transgendered, that, is, that tells you who's making, the parents are teaching the kid this and telling them that. There's no vegan dog. There's no trans child. There's a fucked up parent at the top of that part in my language. No, that's fine. I like your passion. Um, I can hear Dr. Drew's voice in my head, and he would say, there is gender dysphoria. Doesn't happen at that age. Oh. You don't even know what gender, even the idea that kids even understand the sexuality. I mean, are you kidding? It doesn't mean anything. Think about, try to actually, in your head, imagine what you were doing at five years old, four years old. Okay? And you forget. You forget. Like, it's like, it's the idea that kids are sitting around going, What's your gender? Mm, I actually feel like a boy. I mean, like kids at five years old, I need in school. They think they're mermaids. I had a girl who thought, literally thought she was a mermaid. Like she literally, when I tell you, I'll never forget, threw a time to jump and cried, did not want to get out of the tub because she swore to me she was a mermaid, right? My job in that scenario as an adult is not to go, she picked her species. She's a mermaid. 
You know, it's get out of the tub right now because you're a human being and let's go. They're waiting for adults to be adults. Like, you know, kids say things all the time. I'm Batman. I'm I'm Superman. Oh, the job of the parent is not to go, okay, try to fly off the house, Superman. It's to go, no, 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 you know, kids, little three-year-olds put their feet, you know, and of course, little boys all the time, little two-year-old three-year-olds, they see heels, they look interesting, they put their feet in the heels. The job of the parent is not to go, well, maybe you're a woman. Maybe you want to be a woman because I see that your feet are in my... The, the parents are nuts, right? They're trying to legitimatize every thought, feeling, and sentence that a child says when the truth is they're just children. They say ridiculous things all the time. They have no idea what's going on. You are the adult. You're supposed to make sense of the world to them. Instead, you have adults that are polluting and ruining these kids. It's child abuse. And it's why I swear, because it's actually... We're trying to mainstream child abuse right now. Well, it, it's making for some of the most miserable kids I've ever seen in my life because imagine, you know, you just take something like the env- environment. You, you take this kid. I, I had this growing up, believe it or not. So this stuff, you're much younger than I am. This stuff has been kind of weaponized and hit with creatine and, you know, growth serum, but it's pretty old shit. I grew up around this stuff, talking about the environment, talking about being out of fuel, talking about having to live underground. There was a lot of doom and gloom. Every every five years, they have a new reason why the world's going to end. With the environment. And think about the not-so-subtle child abuse that kids suffer. And I had a hippie mom. So I remember being eight years old and they're going, we got about 10 more years. Like, and also. And they always say 10 more years, by the way. Right. They always say 10 more years. always 10 more years. Well, and also there was a magic number that at least kids today don't have to deal with is I had the year 2000. Mm -hmm. So it was like, you know, 1981 by the year 2000, we're not going to have an atmosphere anymore. We're going to, the sun's rays will melt your skin. We'll be out of fuel. They did, they did the ozone hole. Right, that ended up being oops. Never mind, got it wrong. They did global cooling, where they said it was going to freeze. They're like, oops, got it wrong. They did acid rain in the seventies. Oh yeah, right. They oops, we, got it wrong. We we blew that into Canada. Yeah, that they was did, yeah, yeah. They did acid rain in the seventies. Oops, got it wrong. They did when I was a kid. It was global warming. Then oops, accidentally the temperature started dropping, so they changed it and they went, let's just say climate change because like climate changes and like let's just make right. that a thing so, so you gonna... have these kids that are convinced that their world is going to end and that is a form of child abuse of course and they does, don't know this they the... don't know that they just make this up every 10 years because they want to grip these children turn them into activists and give themselves a permission to start all of these organizations because it, it, it empowers them i mean these these politicians are are using children as bartering tools to give themselves power you can tax you trillions of dollars and we're entering the paris accord agreement what what because somehow being in this agreement, they don't know any better. They don't know. They don't, none of it makes sense. They just know that they don't want to. They don't want to die, right? Well, they don't want to be dead in ten years. This insane narcissism of thinking that we can control the world's environment. Yeah. Look, given our landmass, yeah. you know, like, and also not letting developing countries develop because they want to use fossil fuel, which is the best way to develop. Uh, I'd like to shift to I don't know psychological subjects and issues because uh i find you intense but i also find you sort of jovial and kind of in a in a good mood and i will say this uh and everyone i've been traveling with commented on this which is um people 
at, at a place like the Daily Wire or PragerU, young people are a hell of a lot more respectful in places like this than whatever I'm used to in Hollywood, whatever organization, whatever place I go to. It's, it's palpable, mm. by the way, how insanely respectful the, the average 23-year-old is bopping around here versus the average 23-year-old is bopping around Ellen's place in, in, in Hollywood. And I, I think that's something to, to take note of. But um, for you, A, what do you, how would you describe yourself? Do you think of yourself as intense? Do you think of yourself as jovial? Do you think of yourself as laid back? Like there's a lot of people like, I think of myself as laid back, but no one else thinks of me as laid back. Yeah. I think everyone around me thinks of me as laid back. Everyone around me thinks of me as laid back, but the media perception of me is intense because I constantly have to be on the defense to just be myself. Right. So you're obviously when, people actually see me in the media, I'm always like locking horns with someone who's trying to tell me what I have to be, or what I have to think, or, I'm, or what I'm allowed to think. So, you know, with me, I'm a Taurus, you mess with the bull, you get the horns. But in my day-to-day life, you know, people that work with me, work for me, um, you know, I'm jovial. I'm, a, I'm just a happy person. You know, every single day I wake up and I think how blessed I am. Two generations ago, my grandfather was working on a sharecropping farm, pulling out tobacco to dry at five years old, running from the Ku Klux Klan. He's still alive, right? Look at my life. I mean, what a blessing. And that and that is kind of one of the things that upsets me the most about this generation is that there's never been a group of uh, of human beings that have been more privileged and more blessed. And there's also never been a group of human beings that have complained more. Yeah. It's just wrong. It feels so self-imposed. Right. Yeah. World War Two, two generations ago, right? You know, grandparents um, um, who who fought in World War Two. That generation is, is just kind of on its last legs, and you have people that think that they're facing a world war when Ben Shapiro comes to speak on college campuses. Like that's when they have to activate the troops. What uh, pathetic! If you had a, a magic wand for the that that said going to fix the black community and here's my magic wand mm. what direction would you point it what would you wish for like what, what would, would you implement like you're just in charge what education family culture explain the culture part woman of the year is going to be Condoleezza Rice a good note to go out on uh Candace Owens I uh I love that there's people like you in the world. Uh, 31 years of age. Like, I, I expect you to be in very interesting positions in the decades to come. I really, I really do think you have something Thank you. special. And I, I really, I, I just wish more people sort of had your, your chutzpah. But... I think people don't want to be in the middle anymore, so they just either go hard left or they go hard right, because I think everyone's getting pummeled who's trying to be sort of reasonable and hang out in the middle somewhere. It's just a theory I've been throwing around. Uh, Candace is the uh, new show, and uh, it's available on the Daily Wire, at dailywire.com, and the book Blackout, of course, and that's available on Amazon. Candace always... Uh, a great slice of uh, life when you come in here and speak your mind. 
and I'm not even in your studio. <laughs> I mean, I'm in Shapiro's side of the, the building, but uh, thanks for having me on. Thank you. Well, I guess thanks. Thank you for having me. I'm technically on your side. Yeah. On your podcast. Home and home. And until yeah. next time. Oh, no, we're going to throw it over to uh, Tucker Carlson because we're going to do part two. Tucker Carlson. Candace Owens, thank you very much. Thank you. Well, let's take a quick break to talk about Geico. Do you own? Do you rent? You know the story. You do one or the other, right? And then there's your auto policy. Well, how about you put them all together under one roof at Geico? It's called bundling, and Geico makes it easy. Save a bunch of dough, and it's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your house. So go to Geico.com, get a quote, see just how much you could save when you bundle at Geico.com. Tucker Carlson, back on the pod. Always good to see you, my friend. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me out to do your show. It's nice to have you here. I have this studio at the end of the earth. Um, I'm not going to say where it is, but this was 100% inspired by you. When I went to your, when I saw how you live your life three or four years ago in L.A., I was completely shocked by it. And it was just one of those pivot points in my life. I'm not exaggerating this at all. You can ask Emily or our producer, I, when we left... Emily, her, get the hell in here and verify now! <laughs> it's true. I did say to you at the time, I want to live like this. I want control over my life. And I want to live in a world that I'm comfortable in. That was the first thing I noticed about your studio and about your shop. They were tailored to the things that you're interested in. You're clearly comfortable there and you seemed it. And I thought, why, aren't, why am I not living like this? I'm like telling myself, oh, I'm so successful... It doesn't cost that much to live, probably costs less, actually, to live in the way that you want to live. Why am I not doing this? Well, it's an interesting philosophical discussion, and I was talking about it, I think, last night with Mike August, who's sitting over there, which is orthodoxy and rules. You know, it's what I always say for my entire childhood, if you went to a diner and ordered eggs, there was parsley by the side of the plate, and no one touched it, no one ate it, and, and they threw it out. And then you'd say... What, why the parsley? And they'd go, because you have to put the parsley there <laughs> right. because we're serving eggs. And then at some point in 1992, the parsley all disappeared in one night. It's yes. like they must have had some sort of clandestine meeting amongst the fellowship of diner owners or something. They said, no more starting Monday the 22nd. No, it all went away. And no one ever said a word. Except people who live in Gilroy, California, the partially capital of the world whose economy collapsed. That is true. And a handful of people that need their palate cleansed in between (laughs) the eggs and the rye toast. But so there's this like orthodoxy. And and if you think about it, I was talking about I started with Kevin and Bean at a K-Rock in Los Angeles. And radio had rules. TV had rules. Oh, you know, yeah. if you were going to do a late night show, you couldn't do the tonight show and then do Letterman. Letterman wouldn't have you. You know what I mean? Of and you not. couldn't do Letterman. And then now it's just a, it's a free for all. And at K-Rock, Kevin and Bean were the morning show. And at some point Bean said, I want to move to Seattle. I hate Los Angeles. And they went, you can't be part of a morning show and do it from your home in Seattle. And then they were number one for another decade after he moved and now he lives in England. But the point is, is there, there were a lot of rules. And I don't know that anyone ever stopped and questioned the rules. Right. They were just the rules. They were just the parsley. And I think more and more, if, if anything, COVID maybe yes, right. caused a certain set of the populace to triple down on rule following. And then another 
select group of heroes to go, I don't know, I'm, I'm getting away from the rules. Well, especially since they're unevenly applied, and a, and a law unevenly applied isn't a law, it's a, it's a tool of persecution, of course, and so why would you participate in that? And I'm not calling on people not to pay their taxes or to lie on their you know, federal background check when they buy guns or anything like that, but it's very clear that some privileged people get to do that and get away with it, so at the very least, you know, why am I working in an office I don't want to work in? Why am I living in a city I don't like? What am I doing with my life? I mean, on, on the margins, I can take control. Why am I living apart from my children? I have a ton of children, and they're all gone. And some of them moved back over the last year for COVID. And I thought, well, I don't know. I would like to live next to them. I really like my children, actually. So here's Why aren't I living with them? Here's uh, what I sort of thought of, jumped in my mind when you are talking about that. So for folks that are from another generation, we just had the sort of eat the parsley, go to work, you know, sort of punch the time clock. You know, there was a there was a rigidity, a schedule, you know, and I and, and obviously the thought that you're expressing, which is it's my life. You know, why can't I live my life? Why can't I, I do it? That is a great American thought. But it's a thought that needs to be earned. Oh, yeah. And I think there's a problem with a lot of 19-year-olds who think, I want to live my life right now. And it's like, no, you got to put the time in and earn your life. So I'm, of course, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm saying that in order to make use of the gifts that you have, people are designed as individuals for individual tasks. I sincerely believe this. We're not all equally good at everything. In fact, most of us are good at just a few things. And I think the key to life, success, and happiness is figuring out what those things are and then making use of them. In order to maximize your use of those things, get rid of a lot of other things. I mean, the revelation I had around 35, it was like a life-changing thought, which is I'm really bad at certain things. I'm not doing those ever again. Like, ever. I'm never doing that again because I'm not good at it and I'm not going to get better at it. What I'm going to do is figure out, like, the three things that I have some talent in, and I'm going to exercise those muscles and see how big I can get them. And that's basically all I've done. And COVID has allowed me to jettison things that stood in the way of those things. Like, I'm not, there's some things I really don't like. I'm the opposite of you. I don't like cars. I don't like riding in cars. I don't like driving cars, period. I don't have a car. I ride my bicycle. I know that's weird for you as like a famous car collector, but that's just how I feel. I don't like wearing socks. I'm never doing it again, period. I mean it. I'm not. I haven't. I haven't in a year. I've worn socks one day over the year. I don't drive. I don't drive. I don't like getting in cars. I just like being outside. And that's how I live. Yeah. Well, I feel like if you ride bikes everywhere, you should introduce socks at some point because it feels dangerous. This feels like a safety. Probably it feels is. like a safety issue to me. I can't believe I admit I ride a bike um, because <laughs> I, I, I so up. dislike bicyclists. But I will say, in my defense, my bike has no handbrakes or gears. It's just a straightforward fixed gear bike. You want to slow it down, you kick it backwards. It's just it's the it's the it's the cheapest bike you can buy, and I like it. Well, let's uh, let's. Th- move on and ask you a couple of subjects because things that were I was thinking about when I was heading in to see you tonight and and it's been discussed that now that Donald Trump is sort of on the sidelines or on the links a lot of the left and the culture and mainstream media sort of shifted its attention to you because they need a boogeyman yeah and I always when I knowing guys like I know you or Dennis Prager or Ben Shapiro guys like that I always I, I always sort of half chuckle when they're talking about how evil 
these people are yeah. because uh, I find you guys to be gregarious and family oriented and you know, accommodating and just like you are when I saw you today. Um, so how do you deal with that or do you deal with that? Or at a certain point, does it become fuel for I, I, I will I will say as a as a fan of your show, I feel like in recent episodes, I feel like you're being fueled by the hatred of you amongst your detractors. I feel like your your position used to be a little more buoyant or neutral or something. You always had an opinion. Right. But now there's look, when somebody goes after you, you basically have three postures you could pick. You could apologize to the person that comes after you. Yes. You could pretend like you didn't hear anything they said, or you could push back against them. And I feel like you're evolving into pushing back specifically against those people. Well, I would say a couple things. One, I don't want to be fueled by rage. I'm a cheerful person like you. I'm from Southern California. I feel like my birthright is cheerfulness and shallowness. A lot of talk about the weather. It's 70 and sunny. It's kind of enough for me. So I, I want to remain that. What's changed is that with Trump gone, there's just more clarity. You know, I, I think there are good things to be said about Trump, but Trump was certainly the focus of all attention. And so in the end, everything was really about Trump. With Trump off the stage, you can kind of see the issues in clearer re- relief. You can sort of, I don't know, it, it's just clearer. Um, so I think it's worth being clearer about what the stakes are. So there's that. As for the, you know, the hate or the, the tax on me, I mean, I really do turn it off. I don't have a lot of contact with that. I have a small group of people um, whose opinions I really care about, and I listen to them very carefully. I have a very large group of friends. I communicate with them by text. I don't read anything about myself. I would never watch a video about myself. I don't watch my own videos. I mean, I really try and keep my head clear. I take a sauna every day for an hour. I really try and sit in silence and just think, and I love to be outside. So I don't marinate in the hate against me because I don't want to become an angry person whose show is about himself. And that's the third point I would make is I don't, and my producer is very smart, Justin Wells, and I talk about this all the time. We don't want the show to be about us. So if the U.S. military, the ADL, or whatever, Anthony Fauci, you know, attacks the show by name, I don't want the next night to be all about, they've attacked us unfairly, because in the end, it's narcissism. Who are you talking about? Yourself. Right. And narcissism is is the flytrap that does ensnare most public figures, because it's all about you in the end. And narcissism makes you unhappy. It makes you a shitty parent, a bad husband, and it corrodes your soul. So I just don't want to think about myself to the degree that they are trying to force me to. So I really fight against that so hard. Ask anyone I live around or who I know or deals with me a lot. I mean, I really, I don't look in the mirror. I try not to use first person pronouns. I mean, I really go to great lengths not to become a narcissist. It's in the end, probably a losing battle because we're, we're born with solipsistic tendencies and, and it's just a constant fight against them. Anyway, what I think my job is, and it's pretty clear explain what's going on. Explain. I always think that. Our job is to explain. So we got attacked the other day about something that I said, and that's racist or whatever. Okay. I don't take that seriously. I know my own views. I 
say them out loud. If you think my view, if you really listen to what I'm saying and you think it's racist, we have a different different, different definition right. of racism because right. I'm making a colorblind argument because I really sincerely believe it. I was raised that way and I've never given those views up. So my job is not to prove I'm not a racist in, as far as I'm concerned. My job is to explain what the stakes are, what the ideas beneath the surface are, and what the consequences are. And the only good side about being attacked is it does wake you up a little bit and you realize, okay, now I really do have to explain very carefully with great respect for language and, and precision what I'm trying to say. And that's like, that's a good thing. It makes you sharper and clearer and you take your own life more seriously and you take the world more seriously. It's kind of the opposite of being stoned. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I was a kid, I mean, growing up in Southern California, you know, we smoked marijuana every day because that's what, I mean, who didn't? And the thing I remember about that is, oh, wait, I don't remember anything about it. Right. That's kind of the whole point. Right. You sort of miss your life. Right. And it's not just weed that makes you miss your life. It's also all the other distractions that are coming into your view constantly. And the beauty of a moment like this is you're really not missing your life. Like you're fully engaged. You're assessing everything as carefully as you can. You're thinking about it as deeply as you're capable of. And then you're responding with, you know, great care. You're not just like barfing up a response, you know, fuck you. That's not adequate at all. And so there's something kind of great about it. You're really living in sharp relief. And I try to be grateful for that. I try to think, you know, there are a lot of bad things about this moment. My, my, My kids have suffered really greatly and that wounds me. However... You know, it, at least it has meaning. It really does. There's actual meaning in in what we do. I think that. I want to talk about um, your process because I, I'm a big fan of your show and I watch it every night. And I really like the opening monologues. And I've also noticed as someone with a background in comedic writing, there's a lot more comedy in there. Now, it's, it's precise. It has a... It has its purpose and it's and it's got some edge to it and it's it's directed in a direction it's it's not knock knock jokes but i have been now it's kind of interesting because you, you you do your show every day and and you're in you're involved with that process which probably you don't sit around and study the game film i actually study the game film of your show and I, I see more comedy. And it's also something I'm keen to pick out. Like, oh, yes. that, that was a funny joke. Or that's a funny little analogy. Or funny little turn of phrase. I've been noticing more of it. But again, not in a foolhardy, lighthearted way. But in, in, in the best way to kind of make your point or go after someone oftentimes is to graph some comedy onto your, onto your statement. And I don't know, is that all you? Yes. And, and I'm its only audience. I'm, I, that was, that, I write it for myself. I write the whole thing for myself. I do it only to amuse myself. It's, it's, it's impressive. I mean, it is concise. It's, it's, it's well thought out. It's well articulated. I know from being in the business, it's hard to do a 20-minute monologue on a, yeah. on a daily basis. I mean, it's a real tall order that's my only job and to be like clear and poignant and then now starting to sprinkle in some comedy it's it's 
it, it's it's really an impressive feat. Like I, as somebody who knows the business, I would I sit around and go, does he have a, some riders that are punching this thing up or working no, do, working I on do, it? I do that, and, and but it, that comes out of of neurotic energy. I mean, that is just like that's why good comedians. No offense, I'm not you know, speaking of anyone in particular, but they're they're all a little emotionally edgy. They're a little bit raw, right? And it comes. I've always thought this about comedy: like the really funny people are not entirely tranquil inside. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, and the two things are connected. And I, I, and I do talk to my. In fact, it's funny. I was riding my bike here, talking on the phone because I do ride my bike, but. I can't, I'm still a Southern California person, right? I like yap on the phone while on my bike. Right. But I was talking to my producer driving over here, and I was like, oh, I feel a little bit oppressed by all the news. And he said, you know, we need to, we need to, you know, make sure that we do an amusing segment or two in the next two days of the week because we need, it's comic relief. And I said, absolutely right. So we try and do, I try and write at least one open out of five that makes me laugh as I write it. The debates were my favorite because you could watch tape. And I right. would just sit and right. watch the tape on my, I read on my iPad in my bedroom while my mm-hmm. wife does Peloton in the mm-hmm. closet. And she's got <laughs> Jen Sherman's 70s hits screaming, you know what I mean? And I, but anyway, I would sit there and I write it every afternoon. I start at five, I take a sauna, have a cup of coffee, and I write from five to 7.30 every day. And I would watch the tape from the debates and it would just amuse the hell out of me. And it was just like immediately calm. I mean, Pete Buttigieg was just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's just the gift that never stopped giving. But thank God, he's energy. Tra- no transportation. Transportation. But uh, laughing about stuff is essential to my mental health. Mm-hmm. And I also think it's an expression of power. It's like if you are laughing at them, they haven't. They're not controlling you. Well, you do spontaneously laugh because I mean it. Yeah, I the believe absurdity you. of it. But it's also an expression like. You're not in charge of my soul, actually. I don't take you seriously. I think you're absurd. I think you're a buffoon. Listen to what you're saying. History will laugh at you, but I'm going to give a preview right now and do it. It's also, I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel that it's so, some of it is, I feel it's gross, and then some of it feels supremely narcissistic, but that you would even take the time to go after somebody like yourself or or anyone just the idea that you that they're involved with this character assassination stuff it it, it feels like a huge waste of time for them are and, you joking i'm a i'm a fox news cable tv host i host 42 minutes a day like what why are you bothering me i've got opinions you don't agree with okay if you really don't agree with them tell me how i'm wrong they never do why are you focusing on me? Like, I don't, I'm, I'm just a talk show host. Like, <laughs> we've lost perspective. I, when I worked, I've worked at all the cable channels, and I remember my, I had a really smart producer. I haven't had many of those, but I did have one once at CNN, and we screwed something up at, like, the 2000 convention in L.A., and, and he said in my earpiece, he goes, it's just cable. Settle down. Right. And I thought, wow, that is really, thank you. You're right. It's just cable. It's just television. It's, yeah. it's not, do you know what I mean? We're not taking someone's gallbladder out. Lighten up. I really try and think that every day. But if when I, last thing I'll say is when I finish writing that open, it's usually, I mean, I try to get up by 7.30 for an 8 p.m. live show. Sometimes, like last night it was 7.40. It's cutting it pretty close. We have an amazing staff of producers who never complain when I do that, when I file late. 
but then I get on, I put on a fresh shirt, I get on my bicycle, I drive one mile to work, and I'm done. I haven't, we haven't even turned on the lights, and I feel like the show's over. If I write that thing and I get it, you know, the 20 minutes to where I like it, I mean, I honestly feel like that's my whole job, just writing it. I think I'm a writer. Oh, yeah. That's how I think of myself anyway. Well, Reading I, it off a teleprompter or doing an interview, that's like totally easy. Anyone can do that. Yeah, the... They are. Well, don't you feel like you're a writer? I yeah, mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure <laughs> what I am. I guess I can be a writer. You know, I don't. I don't always feel like a writer, but I. But creating words is your job. Yeah, I. I think of myself as I'm here to study sort of humanity and then comment on it. Where do the, you study it? What? Who? Where are your models? Like, do you? In conversations with people, or I mean, you always taking mental notes on the human condition. I have, a, I, I will do. I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll do a lot of watching TV shows from the '70s or the '80s, and so I'll study old culture because in in my what I've come to learn is that TV commercials and TV shows are snapshots of the culture yes. when we're in it. Yes. They're sort of amplified. Like a TV commercial is a 60-second version. Like, if you want to know what 1979 was like, watch five commercials yes. from 1979. You want to know what the hair looked like, the fashion looked like, the color palette, the music, the sensibilities. That's what we were like. So I find myself studying us, going, that's what we're like, and, and then saying, you know, where are we now? What, what, what's going on? I'm, and I try to sort of compare and contrast them. How big is the change? Well, it's it's pretty grand, you know. I haven't watched TV in decades. Really? Yes, we don't we yes, I haven't watched I haven't watched a TV show in at least 20 years. Well, the the what I've kind of learned I think if I did I'd be really upset. Yes. I, I don't think I've seen a TV commercial. I don't honestly don't remember the last TV commercial I watched. Like I honestly don't remember. I mean, I think it's Certainly been before Trump was elected, and I think I would be really stunned by it. I I I think the the kind of the moral of the story that I've learned is, if you're wired like me, you can get information from watching an episode of The Love Boat from 1979. <sighs> I, people say, "What are you doing, wasting your time watching an episode of Love Boat?" And I'm like, I'm studying it. I'm thinking about it. Where do you get it? I don't I don't know where that. No, but can you pull up? From. Pardon my, oh, my ignorance. Where do I now get I'm, it? Now oh. I'm revealing like how out of it I am. But you can go to you, a place called Best Buy. You can buy you a purchase episode. a TV set. No, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, no. What, but what, like, can you pull up the Love Boat on the internet yeah, or something? Yeah, you can. You can find you can find episodes of it, and then I study. But look, I study people at the airport. I study people. Uh, billboards. I study automobile design. Like I just study things. And the thing that's interesting is if you start studying something, you'll notice patterns. So I just look for patterns, patterns, patterns. And then once you study patterns, everything, you can predict things that happen before they happen because you're a pattern studier. But it's also weird things like my assistant, Matt Fondelier, one day he came walk, He came into work, and I, I was just talking to him. And I looked down. I said, "What? What's the deal with those shoes?" And there were just tennis shoes. 
and he said, I don't know, they're tennis shoes. Well, what do you want? I said, oh. And we started talking, and then I stopped again, and I went, what's up with those shoes? Something's up with those shoes. What's the story? And he said, oh, they were just, they're just tennis shoes. I wore them to work. And I said, okay. And we just started talking a little more, and I go, this is kind of bugging me now. I, is there something you're not telling me about this? And he said, oh, they're my dad's shoes. I just borrowed them. And I said, okay, it was bothering me. It, it felt to me like those shoes weren't your shoes or there were someone else's shoes or there's a story to those shoes. And it was only from studying pants. It's not like he wore flip-flops every day. He wore tennis shoes. But there was something in my studying of his pattern that had broken just a little bit. Like, it wasn't he stole a hobo shoes. He just wore his dad's shoes but it didn't comport with me quite right. And I, I, it was just a feeling. I didn't know what was wrong. I just, I just knew something was wrong because of the pattern. His pattern had been interrupted a little bit in my mind. Oh, that's so interesting. So it's it, visual patterns. It's visual. It's, 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 it's mental. It's kind of an interesting thing. We have to take a quick break, but I'll, I'll, share, I'll share an interesting insight right after this. Let me tell you about LifeLock. 60% of Americans believe it's likely that identity theft will cause them financial loss in the next year. It's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. Every day, we put our info at risk on the internet. In an instant, cybercriminals could harm your finances, finances and your credit. Good thing there's LifeLock. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats, like your social security number for sale on the dark web. If they detect your information has potentially been compromised, they'll send you an alert and you'll have access to a dedicated restoration specialist. So protect yourself with LifeLock, right, Dawson? No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but you can keep what's yours, yours, with LifeLock Identity Theft Protection. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year at LifeLock.com, promo code ADAM. That's LifeLock.com, promo code ADAM, for 25% off. All right, back with Tucker Carlson. We're talking about patterns. So I drive around my car. I listen to... uh, the 70s station, the 80s station, and the 60s station, I just listen. But, uh, but I study everything, the, the way they sung and the, th- the things they sung about. And it was, was kind of interesting what they were singing about in the 60s versus the 70s versus the 90s. But lately, I keep coming in with these songs going, I want to know more about this song. And all of them seem to be written by Carol King and her partner, from back in the 60s and the 70s. And they're not saying this one was written by Carol King and, and her writing partner from the 60s. I just tap into something that she's, some style. These yes. are just pop songs from the, sung by Bobby V and sung by the, you know, Vardells or whoever the hell was singing back then. But every time I hear one that she wrote, it, 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 a little thing goes off my head, although it's not conscious. It's just for some reason I go, I'm going to write that song down. And then later on, somebody tells me, you know who wrote that song? I'm like, no, Carol King. I'm like, the last five songs have been written by Carol King, but they've all been different and done by different artists. It's just there's something that I'm hearing, a pattern, something familiar. And that's all I do is I just study things and then eventually try to warp it into a joke or a thought. 
Well, does it just float to the surface at some point? If, when you watch enough, does the joke congeal or the observation form just by itself? Yeah, I, 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 I think so. It just, it just kind of floats up to the top and, 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 it, and, it, and it becomes something. Some of them are weird, I don't know, they're mostly just, I, I was walking my Labrador on the beach and um, my, my dog's very um, rambunctious and flirtatious and fun and outgoing and Phil uh, ran into a guy and started jumping up on him and licking him. You know, Phil's this big 110-pound lab, and the guy loved it. Everyone loved it. In a Phil. sexual way or just totally <laughs> no, platonic? A totally platonic sort okay. of way. And the guy just said to me, uh, it's all right. I was raised, I always was raised with labs. We had nothing but labs. And I, was, and I never said anything to him, but I thought to myself, you had a much better childhood than me. Like, that yeah. was my, yeah. that was my notion. And I was walking, and I thought, now, how do you, like, how would we turn that into a joke? You know, and then the joke would be if I said to him, you had a much better childhood than me. And he said, well, I don't think so, because I was molested. I'd go, well, now it's a tie. (laughs) (laughs) And so this weird little interaction, and I haven't told that joke on stage or anything. I just thought of it. Like, I, I thought you have these little interactions and you go, how would this turn into a joke? If you, you were write them telling down? this joke, I'll yes, I'll write like lab beach guy or something. And just just so it doesn't completely. So you write the trigger for the joke. The but you, do you ever write out your whole set? No, I, 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 I will. I will. If, if something is going to be a joke, it, it will find its own punchline is the way I, I, I kind of feel like. I, and if you can't find a punchline for it, maybe it's not maybe it's not a good idea. You know, I always kind of felt that way. Like if you had, you have a premise for a monologue, right? Yes. And so you go, man, I have this idea for a monologue and I feel very strongly about it. And now I'm going to sit down and bang it out. If you sit there for 10 minutes and nothing's happening, That's right. it's not a good That's premise. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, I a have a really the- good premise. You can't write fast enough to keep up with that idea. It's totally right. And that happens to me a lot when I get out of the. Sauna? Get out of my cedar box. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll have, I always keep, I have a chair outside of it where I sit and cool down in an outdoor shower. And I often write down prompts for ideas that, that came to me. I have the great advantage, which you do not have, of writing against sound. So we have an amazing group of producers who are pulling sound all day. You know, mm-hmm. this press conference, I mean, we're doing a show tonight on pack of the Supreme Court, there was a press conference and they pulled all the sound from it. So I'll get all the sound and you, when you, I, I don't look at it, but I read the verbate and you pivot against it and like lines immediately come to you. Right. Right. They so that is, you. it's exactly, it's just a built in prompt. Right. So I can always write against sound and it's just like one of those things is very easy, but it, after 25 years of doing it, it's a lot easier than it was. So can, uh, can we just go through the process, like, you know, a day in the life of uh, Tucker Carlson? Yeah, I Carlson. wake up um, usually by 8. I try not, to, uh, try not to get up too early. I live in a 400-square-foot pool house with my wife and two spaniels, both elderly, 111, 114. My wife wakes me up, always nice to me. She usually takes the dogs out. I get a cup of coffee. I sit in the backyard for an hour, respond to texts, 
check the news. I get an overnight um, news digest, which I love, from one of our producers, who's a genius. And then you say you live in a four hundred square foot pool house. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, we do. That is very weird. It is weird. Yeah, I know. What is that? I don't know exactly, but I'm getting more monkish as I get older. I don't know. Really? What, yes. I don't know what it is. Is there a main house? Yeah, there's a main house, but it's only it's got three bedrooms. We've got four children. So, so they're in there? Yeah. Well, they have been. Yeah, they have been. So you're in the pool house. We're in the pool this house. This is not a COVID thing. Oh, no. We're the opposite. I'm not even going to get into our attitudes on COVID. Oh. Everyone in our family's had COVID, basically. My wife had COVID pretty bad, and um, we took zero precautions and shared the same bed and yeah, I was so smooching on her and never got it. You're so basically think, like me. Yeah, I think I'm immune. But anyway, the point is, and then um, I so was- So it's a take, 400 square foot house with, you gotta understand when you tell people, especially somebody's is as successful as you are, you know, I wake up in my 400 square foot pool house with my elderly Cocker Spaniels, they think you're setting up, a, they think that's a joke. No, 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 that's how we live. That's how you live. Oh, yeah, I promise. I know, I believe you. And then I my just... wife comes back, and we get coffee, and we get back into bed for our executive meeting every morning, usually from 9 to 10, sometimes 9 to 10.30. And uh, we go through the day, and we just sit and chat. Dogs are on the bed, always dogs on the bed. And then I go over to my iPad and write out what I'd like to do for the day. And I try to get that in by 11.30 in the morning. Sometimes I am late, and it gets in at noon, but... You know, I write a, an email, sometimes it's long. Yesterday it was like 750 words. Let's hit these stories. Let's book these guests. Here's what I want the lead to be. And sometimes like lines in the lead will come to me and I'll kind of w- begin to work it out in that email, which of course I save. And then I'm usually done by noon. I try in a normal life to take a couple hours off, go fishing, something like that. But I haven't been able to do that recently because there's been a lot going on. I do phone calls, I take a sauna, and then at 5 I start writing. Is it an hour in the sauna? I do about 20 minutes, cool down, go back. And this is, I, this is ideal. I, I take a sauna every single day. I never miss it. What temp? I really prefer 180, 190, 200. Um, in Maine, I have a wood-fired sauna, mm-hmm. which I, obviously, it's a wood stove, so I can really get it hot. Mm-hmm. And it's big. And here, I have a very small sauna. It's 4 by 4 interior and the stove, if it gets too hot, the stove shorts out. It kills me. Because, <laughs> so, but I, I try to get it to 180, and mm-hmm. then I hit it with a luli, as they mm-hmm. say in Finland. You know, you hit it with the water and steam emerges. Right. Uh, is the phone in there? Is there no, gosh. No, no, no. no, yeah. no. It's too hot for the phone. I like a hot sauna. I like a hot, right. dry finish so that's, sauna. So that's, that's thinking time? It's thinking time. It's like spiritual renewal. It's also, I mean, everyone's got like a cultural tradition. So I'll just admit it. I'm Scandinavian. That's what we do. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have a, my son does it too. And we have it. He's 24. And we, he believes that it's cheating to throw water on the rocks before you've already started sweating. That you should get it hot enough to really sweat and then just blow yourself out of the water with the, but with the water. But I find the sauna is like really an integral part. I mean, just silence and intensity, and it just... Is there a way to capture thoughts if you're in there? Like, I, I'm, I am, uh, I'm projecting here. What, because I'm over 50 and I can't remember anything? No, like <laughs> yeah. what I would do if I was working on my big, huge monologue, yeah. and I sat in the sun, I would sit there for four minutes trying to sort of free my mind of the earthly yeah. bounds, and at some point I'd go, oh, I got a joke. Or I got this, oh, I got a beat. Like, I have something, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because... 
I got to I got to jot it down because it's going to it'll be gone by the time the, the steam evaporates, you know. Well, actually, my sauna is hot enough that the thoughts stop at a certain point. Like once you get oh, over really? 180, uh-huh. you can't really think. What you're doing is just you're not thinking. It's like a Buddhist exercise. You're just trying to get to to get to clarity. Right. You know, and um, really the thinking happens in the shower. I have an outdoor shower. I mean, it's super simple. It's just bolted to the side of the house, and I take a shower, and then all of a sudden, like, all of a sudden, it, it just it just comes to me. Right. And uh, and then I trot back to my pool house and my towel. <laughs> it's all so stupid, but it really works. And then um, I file the script, and I get on my bicycle, and I ride to work. And then I finish work. I get home. My wife is invariably in bed with the dogs reading her book. And... And then I so, eat an apple and I go to bed. That's no, uh, no cocktails, no TV, no. I'm not a drinker anymore. I was a big drinker and um, I quit 19 years ago. Probably won't be starting that again. Um, it just didn't agree with me. I'm not against drinking. Everyone in my family drinks, but I, I just didn't have the self-control. And I realized as I got older that I'm more volatile than I thought I was. Mm-hmm. And I think drinking just, you know, creates volatility and I just wasn't good at it. I could get terrible hangovers. I got in a couple of fist fights and lost, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So I just thought maybe drinking's not for me. What, uh, how many pages does your opening monologue average? It's, it's lengthy. I mean, it was it, 23 pages on Monday. 23 pages. Yeah, 23 pages. But that was, that was different. That was, I worked on that on Sunday. I mean, I woke up Sunday morning. And I just had it on my mind. I'm not normally like this. I really try and spend the weekend being normal. But I woke up at 6.30 Sunday morning and, like, stood up, went and took a leak in the garden, as I do every morning. That's oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent oh. of that. I tell everyone, if you buy a house once a year, go take a leak on the lawn because that's home ownership. You know, you do that in an apartment, you get arrested. Every single day. Every really, single I day. I really believe in that. Anyway, so I, I woke up and I, and I had this like fully formed open in my head. So I, as I, and my, I've lived with my wife for 30 years, so she knows a lot of the time writing is just really painful. I mean, it's just horrible. It's, it's extracting your own teeth, mm-hmm. but there's that, you know, once a month when it just comes to you nearly fully formed and you, you, you can't ignore it. You just have to roll with it because right. you're not in charge of those impulses. And when they arise, like that's my whole job. So everything else goes on hold I'm sorry, I can't go anywhere. And I just sat down and I wrote like 2,000 words on Sunday afternoon just because it was already there. So why would I not? Are, it seems like there's a trajectory with you where you're, you're, you sort of laugh about sort of becoming a Buddhist or something like that. But, but I mean, it, 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 is it con- are you consciously trying to counteract this chosen profession yes. of yours. Absolutely. It's 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 a conscious What thing. percentage of people who have my job are happy? Yeah, none. Like right around zero in that range. And right. so I'm not I'm not going to do that. I have four children. I really like them most So of them. it's a it's it's a it's a I, I won't call it a battle or a struggle even though I hate Completely when people say that. Completely freaked out about becoming one of the many people I've worked with over the last 25 right, years. Right. Right. So we're miserable. They have broken personal lives. Right. They hate themselves. They're insecure and I just I'm not going to let that happen. I'm you, just not. 
So it's like you like woodworking. Yes, I do. As we I were love discussing, it. And I love woodworking as well. And if you had a job as a cabinet maker, then you'd probably come home at the end of the day, crack a beer and watch some sports center. Yes. But because you because your job is sort of cathartic and peaceful and not what your job is on right. Fox television. So the 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 saunas and the uh, urinating on the shrub and the uh, in the bed with the uh, with the dogs and it, it is an outdoor shower. These are all conscious attempts to sort of not let the insanity eat overtake you and eat your brain. I'm a fanatic about it. I'm a fanatic about it, and I'm very intentional about staying in touch with my children, my brother, my dad my wife, the people I work with are people I sincerely love. Anyone who works for me would be welcome to stay at my house. Almost all have. I mean, I I try to keep everything that's false, untrustworthy, threatening out of my world. I don't want that because there's already enough of it. And But more than anything, you have to fight for simplicity and remind yourself, as I do every single day of the year, you are going to die naked, terrified, and alone. Everybody is. That is the certain fact of life. And don't start thinking that you're not, and don't become an egomaniac. Not because it's unattractive to be an egomaniac, but because it's unhappy. It's super unhappy. That is narcissism. And I've just seen it. I mean, I've done this. I I started going on TV in 1995. So, I don't know. I think that's 26 years. That's a long time. I've known everybody in it, and I've really liked a lot of them. I I knew Larry King very well, and I really, really liked Larry King. I learned a lot from Larry King, but... And so I'm not you know, pointing him out specifically, but I know them all I, really well. And I don't want to be those people at all. How many have happy marriages? How many, when they get home, men in my job or job-ish get home and, the, you know, it's like happy to see the wife, wife's happy to see them, I'm so proud of you, you're great, give me a kiss. Like, none. None. And that's what I want. That's what I want. And I didn't grow up, you know, I grew up in a, a non-traditional family. And when I was a kid, I remember thinking, I just want I just want a normal life and I have had one and I'm and I'm thankful and I protect it for real like absolutely and not just with guns though with guns but in every other way I uh we need to take our last break we'll uh, be right back with Tucker Carlson Well let's take a quick break to talk about Geico do you own do you rent you know the story you do one or the other right and then there's your auto policy well How about you put them all together under one roof at Geico? It's called bundling, and Geico makes it easy. Save a bunch of dough, and it's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your house. So go to Geico.com, get a quote, see just how much you could save when you bundle at Geico.com. All right, back to Tucker Carlson. Yes, uh, I've been saying it, and it's been very amplified over the whole COVID thing, which is, you know, look, it sounds... So obvious, but you've got to walk, you've got to get into nature, you've got to do things. I'm going to suggest something to you that I suggest to everyone, but I've never suggested to you. Uh, you have a pool house, but do you have a pool? I do. You should get in that pool. I never do. You've got to get in the pool, Tucker. <laughs> Our house was built in 1968. It's never been updated. I live in the, I live in the least impressive house of anybody. Is it freezing cold? Yes, we don't have a pool heater. Then get in the pool. My my wife is very much a nature person and not a luxury person, and she doesn't like pool heaters. She doesn't like 
chlorine, so we have a cold saltwater pool. <laughs> Do you ever get in it? Never, not once. All right, here's my challenge for you. Next time, uh, I think you're going on the road after we after we wrap this up, but. You do the sauna, and you realize what the sauna does for you, right? Yeah. You say, you know, at 180 degrees, you don't need a steno pad because you, you're not forming thoughts. Yes. You're in some sort of clarity zone that, that equals freedom. Freezing cold swimming pool is the exact same. It is essentially, it's the same as a sauna. It's just, of course, it's the other direction. You know what I mean? The sauna is... Hot, the pool is cold, but the effects are exactly the, the same. The barrier to entry is so much higher. That's and so that, when you get in a sauna, it's embryonic, right? Right. So that's like what we're all searching right. for is you know return, return yes, to the womb. You diving the into a op- snowbank. Yes, <laughs> and that's where the 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 real benefits lie. Really, the benefit. I think of the pool, you know, everyone always talks about sort of the benefits of the cold and the healing. And we see that LeBron James sits in an ice tub after a hard game. It's it's great physiologically, recovery, and it's just good for your joints. the, The cold is physically very good for you, but I think it is far outweighed by the the mental part, which is What do you mean? Which is I so we took a well, because I think when you have money and you have a position and you have some status, it's a constant battle to sort of keep yourself grounded. Yeah. And and, and I don't mean grounded in like an aw shucks kind of way. I just mean in a, like a, almost spiritually, physically, almost totally just agree. grounded. You yes. know what I mean? You can have anything you want whenever you want it. You can call Grubhub at any time of the night and they'll bring you your favorite fast food. How do you not fall prey to that? And I have found that imposing some misery on yourself is really important. I totally agree. And there's different forms that can come in. But freezing cold water is a real form of misery. I do it, and not only do I do it consistently, we flew out to Nashville yesterday before we came here. We had a flight leaving at 7 a.m., uh, I went to bed kind of late, maybe after midnight. I got up at six fifteen. It was dark outside and a little bit, little bit drizzly. And I was like, I got to leave for the airport in fifteen minutes. But I made the commitment to get in the pool every morning before I left for where I'm going. So I just went in the pool, just swam underwater from one side to the next, live in the foothills, freezing cold outside. Oh. Well, first off, when you get out, you're awake. That's, yeah. that's the good news. Assuming you don't drown. You're right. If you make it, you're awake. And it's just part of a self-imposed kind of, here's what. Here's the promise you made to yourself. You're going to do this every day. And I would say, hearing about your uh, outdoor urination, your uh, outdoor shower, and your sauna, I think the cold dunk in the pool would be the icing on the cake of that ritual. I love the sound of that. I just am worried about having too many rituals. As I said to my wife this weekend, I don't want to get too eccentric. My wife's a little eccentric, let's be honest. Wonderful person, my favorite person. But, you know, not a main, not fully mainstream. mainstream. And I said to her, I don't want to be those, like, people who everyone quote. Because our kids look at us sometimes like, you know, you guys are really eccentric. And I always say, I don't think we're eccentric. I think we're totally, fully normal. And then they all cackle because they're, you oh, know. I, 
I, I would think, well, do it once, tell me anything. And by the way, it, it takes 30 seconds. You just have to go in, get underwater, and come back up. There's nothing. There's you nothing. There's no in? time. I walk in the shallow end. I swim to the deep end. And I then go underwater, touch the drain. That's my rule. I have to get to the drain. And then I skim along the bottom and pop up on the shallow end, and then I'm done. And it's, it's all of 55 seconds, if, if you want. Doesn't matter. Does it knock the wind out of you? Doesn't do anything. Once, once it becomes what you do, then it's just what you do. There's no, there's no all right, sensation to it. I'm going to try that. It. Try it. I, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a game changer. And also, I do feel like you, and me to some degree, but you especially, you were like somebody with a thyroid condition who doesn't want to put weight on. So you have to be very careful and work harder yeah. and not eat, you know. And there's a bunch of people that look good in their underpants going, eat whatever you want, dude. And you're going, no, I have to maintain oh, yeah, this vigil yeah. because of your job. If you were a cabinet maker, you wouldn't have to maintain that vigil. Being a performer, host, professional talker, getting paid a lot of money to give your opinions, I mean, that is the recipe to becoming an asshole. I mean, just 100%. And Bill Shine, who kind of ran Fox day-to-day, the programming, whatever, he was president at one point, he once said to me, so smart, he goes, what do you, he was, oh, he was president of Fox News at this point, and he said, what do you think my job is? And I said, I don't know, president of Fox News? He's like, no, 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 it's keeping millionaires from killing themselves. Hmm. Like, my job is to... Probably shouldn't even say that out loud, but he did say that to me, and I thought, wow, that's a really heavy thing to say. You know, that there's meaning so- the people he employed. Just that there's something about being paid to give your opinions that makes you unhappy. And I and I thought I've thought about it so much. And I really think it's narcissism is the trap. You know, people are really interested in me and what I'm saying. And then you start thinking about yourself and how do I look and how are they viewing me? And then you feel more insecure. And the more you think about yourself, the more insecure you become and the more miserable you are. And no one can ever give you enough praise. And then you look at your spouse and after 30 years, your wife is probably not like kissing your ass every day because it's your wife, right? Sure. She's seen you in your underwear. And you're like, wait, she's not really kissing my ass enough. And she's not, well, I don't think she appreciates me. And then you resent your wife. And then like, my kids don't know all the things I do for them. And you know, Ugh. and you systematically alienate everyone in your world. And then you're alone feeling sorry for yourself. There is a, I'm gonna read this to you. This is the last thing I'm gonna do. I'm, God, I'm such a bore, but I can't control myself. <laughs> I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who has advanced oral cancer, oh. okay? And I was texting with him because I, I do most of my um, communication by text. And I said, my gosh, I feel so bad for you. You know, it's just awful. How are you feeling? Uh, oral cancer? Yeah. I mean, imagine. come on. He's right in the middle of chemo. He doesn't even respond. And he sends me the following poem. I'm not a huge poetry guy, but I do like it. This is by D.H. Lawrence, who wrote Sons and Lovers, Lady Chatterley's Lover. Okay. It's called Self-Pity. It's four lines long. Here's the poem. Quote, I never saw a wild thing sorry for itself. A small bird will drop frozen dead from a bough without ever having felt sorry for itself. Period. End of poem. Wow. What's the point? In the natural world, self-pity doesn't exist. Right. It's unique among humans. It's our burden, and it is the locus of our destruction. Self-pity is the key to destroying yourself. And I, th- I read that, and I thought, I don't know that there's a single time in my life, my whole life, that I've been unhappy that the root wasn't self-pity. It's 100% self-pity. A small bird will drop dead, frozen from a bow without ever once having felt sorry for itself. Holy shit, D.H. Lawrence, you are a genius, because that is true. And I want to be like that bird. 
Tucker, we should all aspire to be like a dead bird. <laughs> and with that, I want to give you a plug. I know you get Tucker Carlson uh, today. Uh, I know the Today Show, as we call it. Yeah, it's on the uh, Fox News. I, I, it's, you have to download it, right? Yeah, you, you got to download it. Give it a plug. Background I mean, check. Just go to foxnation.com. It's long-form interviews, which you can't do in a live TV show for 42 minutes. But I think they're really interesting. People like Adam Carolla do it and really unburden themselves in ways that are kind of shocking and potentially criminally incriminating. You should listen. <laughs> Tucker, always great. And uh, it's it, every time I sit down and talk to you, I feel like you've evolved and blossomed even more from the last <laughs> time. So you little lotus... You keep blooming. <laughs> and until next time, it's Adam Carolla for Tucker Carlson saying mahalo. Follow the Adam Carolla Show on Twitter at Adam Carolla Show. Follow us on Twitter at Adam Carolla. You can leave us a voicemail at 888-634-1744. Gina Grad is with Teresa Strasser on the podcast Easy Listening. And you can catch Bald Brian on the Film Vault. Also, check out The Water Cooler, another great offering from Carolla Digital. For tickets to see the Ace Man, books, movies, and everything else, go to adamcarolla.com. Hey, Geico, do you own? Do you rent? Well, you do one or the other, right? You know, it's hard work out there. Owning, renting, you want to save some money? How about your bundle? Bundle your policies at Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle the homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too because you got so much to do already. Go to geico.com, get a quote, see just how much you could save at Geico. That is geico.com today. That's geico.com. Saving starts with Xfinity. Get a great price on Xfinity Internet. Plus, ask how to get an eligible 5G phone on us. And for a limited time, $300 back when you add Xfinity Mobile. Go to Xfinity.com slash start saving. Call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today. Restrictions apply.